Well, Pastor Morales? Pastor Lejeune, yes, sir. We're we, here uh, once again. We have done this in this setting before, but not with this many people watching us. Amen. Well, you know, not we had, in person. That's right. We had people watching, but uh, we didn't realize how many. And uh, it's a little bit more intimidating. I see Tom back there rooting us on. Amen. Uh, we have, it's a little bit more. Uh, it's different than what we're accustomed to. Uh, we did this during the quarantine, and we had this same setup: uh, the table here, the bookshelf, the cameras. But we had only basically two people sitting in the pews. It was Joe. And Miss Debbie, uh, Miss Debbie would play the piano, and Joe, of course, would run uh, the audio and the video. Uh, and it was just you and I, Pastor, and yeah, uh, yeah. it was a little awkward at first. We we thought about getting some people hold up signs for the audience, yes. applause, yes, quiet on the set. Uh-huh. But uh, we we just expect our audience tonight to know how to behave themselves. Amen. And so when I say a corny joke, you are to laugh. Okay. I don't want to have to hold up a laugh. Son. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was the first corny joke right there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> amen. Very heavy topic that we're, uh, that we're addressing tonight, Pastor. And I think it's very, very important, uh, very helpful. Uh, for me, it's been extremely helpful. Uh, I first, as you have, men- have mentioned in the services, I ran across uh, this book entitled Born That Way After All. Uh, several years ago while I was pastoring in upstate New York, uh, we had a missionary uh, who came by, and uh, it was a female missionary. She was single at the time. She's married now. Uh, and she was, um, uh, of course, on deputation, trying, trying to gather support. We had gone to eat after the service, and uh, we happened to have a visitor in the service that day uh, who was very, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she had a, either a friend or a family member that was either lesbian or, or, or gay or homosexual individual. And, you know, we talked at lunch. And, of course, this visitor wanted to know, well, what does the Bible say? And how do you feel? Uh, what, do you, what, does, what do you teach, you know, regarding homosexuals? And I gave her the status quo answer that I've given for years. Uh, it's an abomination uh, in the eyes of God. It is a sin. And so I, I didn't really know how to minister to homosexuals. On the way back to the parsonage where we lived, the, this missionary lady was staying with Trina and I at the house, and she says, have you ever heard uh, of Pastor uh, uh, this Johnny uh, Nixon, I believe is his name, have you ever heard of him? I said, no, I haven't. And she said, well, he has this ministry specifically for the homosexual community. Of course, that piqued my curiosity, piqued my interest, because I, I didn't know how to minister to them. I didn't know how to reach them. Uh, I was kind. I was cordial. Uh, I was uh, very nice to them, but at the same time, Understanding that their behavior, their lifestyle is a sin, it is an abomination in the sight of God. But I didn't know how to communicate that. I didn't know how to tell them, hey, this is wrong without seeming condemning and judgmental. And when I found this resource, uh, as I told you, Pastor, when I first came, it absolutely blew my mind. It totally blew me away. Uh, I read the book, I think, in like two days. I couldn't put it down. Uh, it, it, it took a concept that I didn't totally understand and help me to comprehend it from God's perspective. And so I hope and pray that we can do that for uh, our church tonight. Pastor, I think that you can agree that it's done the same, has the same, has had the same effect on you. And we're hoping and praying that it does the same Amen. for those that are here tonight. And so we're not, we're not going to ask for feedback, but every one of us has friends or family members or someone that we know that believes that they are either homosexual uh, or or they would fit somewhere in that yes. LGBT, LGBT spectrum. Exactly. Right? They would put themselves there. Correct, correct. I can personally say in my family, uh, I know of at least one that I feel fits 
that description. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure most of our folks here that are, that are in the church now and folks that are watching at home probably feel the same way. They at least know someone. We've all been impacted by this. So what do we, what do we say to them? How, to, how do we minister to them? How can we reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, what do we say to them? And so there's several things that we're going to look at this evening. And so hopefully uh, we can do this in a concise way, yeah, Pastor. And I, I'll just add there mm-hmm. that I grew up, uh, like many of you here, uh, I grew up uh, in a Baptist church much of my life. And some of you maybe didn't grow up in one your whole life, but you've been coming to a Baptist church for many years. And uh, the culture as a whole, 10, 20, really 30 years ago, um, this wasn't a discussion. Correct. This has become more of a discussion because it's really been pushed on us culturally. Yeah. And I have found that uh, Christians, including myself, uh, were kind of caught stuttering, Mm -hmm. right, without an answer. It used to be a taboo subject. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, But that has changed. Like, as you mentioned, now it's being shoved in our faces to the point where... We have to decide where we land. The, the, the line has been drawn in the sand. Where do we land on this, on this topic? Sure. And we're trying to land as close to where the Lord himself would land. Uh, he loves the sinner, obviously hates the sin, just as he hates any sin in our life. And our sins are not homosexual sins, but, but they are uh, different types of sins. And so we have to be very careful and loving and cordial and kind uh, and gracious uh, as we approach or try to discuss this topic uh, with folks who would fit the LGBTQ community. And so uh, the first thing that we have here in our notes, Pastor, is the trap. Yeah, so we have five thoughts we're going to share tonight. We don't have an outline to hand you mm-hmm. tonight, but we would encourage you to get a piece of paper and, uh, and write these five things down. Uh, and if you have a larger piece of paper, boy, you're going to want to take a lot of notes. If you're not able to do that, go back later and watch it on our our YouTube page there. Yeah. So, The Trap. The Trap. So the, the first thing that we want to point out is the fact that the devil uh, knows how powerful the sex drive is in, in all humans. Uh, and so he, he uses that as a weapon against us. Uh, he attempts to trap us in this, uh, this vicious cycle of sexual sin. Uh, I know for me... Pastor, this doesn't apply specifically to you because you grew up in a Christian home. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I did not grow up with the Word of God being a priority, the church being a priority. Uh, I grew up in in a relatively normal uh, home. Uh, There was some dysfunction, but not as bad as others. But I know from a very early age that the sexual enticement was before my eyes very early on. Very early on. Uh, And not having a guard, not having walls, uh, boundaries, uh, of course, we, uh, we pursued that because the, the devil was luring me in, uh, luring people like myself in, and it, and it can become a vicious cycle of sexual sin. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, uh, the Bible says, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Now, this is the Apostle Paul uh, whom we believe remain unmarried and remain a single person his entire life. Uh, there's no, no scripture that teaches otherwise. Verse 9 says, but if they cannot contain, if we cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Pastor, when I was first saved, I thought that was referring to burning in hell. That's what I thought that was talking about. 
And then I realized later on, as years go on and I study the Bible more, it's talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage and those sorts of things. And it's talking about burning with sexual, des- sexual de- yeah. desires in your heart. Yeah. And he says it's better for us to marry than to burn. Why? Because we all burn within us to have that sexual desire satisfied. Uh, and, and listen, folks, we're, we told you this is going to be adult conversation, okay? Uh, we're not here to, to be explicit uh, but we're here to be uh, frank, all right? We're going to be transparent. Uh, every single one of us uh, who is born, uh, we have this desire for sexual satisfaction. And so uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit because there are some people that we'll see here shortly that are not born with a sexual desire. Okay, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, I'm going to quote uh, here the book that we read uh, from page 23 where... Uh, the author wrote, sex, quote, sex is perhaps the most powerful drug that Satan uses with young people, end quote. And so Satan knows that once he can get uh, a hold of us, uh, he can use sexual desires and sexual perversions uh, for the rest of our lives. He introduces sex to young people uh, as early as possible in order to make it as appealing as possible. And so those of us that have children, those of us that have grandchildren, uh, we must be very careful uh, what we allow our children to be exposed to, especially at a very young age. And I say that from the bad experiences that I've had in my own personal life uh, and the battles that I've had to fight in my own personal uh, life as a result of being exposed to those things. So if Satan has uh, 20 uh, hooks in the water, 20 fishing poles with hooks in the water, and he's got different lures on all of those different hooks. The hook that is the most effective, or the lure rather, that is the most effective for him in our generation is the sexual perversion hook. Sure. He uses that one to trip people up the most. And not only does he use it to get, uh, to get folks, he, he also um, knows that if he can get them hooked to sexual perversion, it is a long, difficult road away uh, from that struggle. Amen. And it leads to so many other things. Uh, we, we know we drive down the roads and we see billboards. We, we go to the checkout counter at a store. There's magazines. We, it's it everywhere. everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, he's inundating us with this perversion in order to uh, deviate. So we deviate from God's plan and God's will and God's way. Yeah. And this is what he uses. Uh, sexual attraction is a normal desire that God places within us. Uh, the problem comes when we attempt to fill that sexual desire the wrong way. That's when the problem comes. And when we satisfy the sexual desire with the improper substance, then we develop a taste for that substance. And so on page 52 in the book, the author gives us an example. Okay, for example, he says, and I quote, the natural desire for us to eat, to ingest food, that's a natural desire. That's, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Uh, we are not created, however, with a natural desire to ingest cocaine. And so a person who takes that drug and, and they ingest that drug, that is unnatural. But if a person does that enough times, uh, then they'll develop a wrong appetite for that substance. And so now they're, they're filling, uh, they, they, they create a greater desire in, in their body, in their, in their physiology uh, that's not supposed to be there. The same can be said uh, with sex, Pastor, and, and, yeah, and we've so, got to be careful. Right, so we have to be careful to, here to draw a distinction between what's curio- curious, uh, uh, the curiosity in someone and what's natural for someone. There are a lot of kids who hear the LGBT movement 
and they become curious with it. But being curious with something is not the same as it being natural. For instance, sure. um, many teenage boys have been curious about smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Then they get under a bridge or behind a, a store, and they puff on a cigarette, and what happens? Absolutely. I, I can attest to that. As a 13-year-old boy, I remember at Patterson Park in Baltimore City, I was there with uh, some friends of mine, and this was the, the big deal at that time. They said, we, we got cigarettes, and we're going to try cigarettes. And I took a puff, and I turned about every shade of green that I could possibly turn, and I almost vomited. And I said, no, thank you. Why would I want to do that to my body? Now, again, some people, and every, and Pastor, you can agree to this, and those of you that are watching, you can say, you've spoken to people that smoke cigarettes, and probably 100%, maybe not, but probably 100% say, yeah, well, I felt that way the first time, too. But yet they continue, and they keep smoking. An appetite is an developed. Ap- exactly. An but appetite is developed. It's unnatural. Yeah. You're not supposed to ingest dirty air into your lungs. Uh, it's not the way God created our bodies to work. The same thing with, with any other substance that we're not supposed to have. And so sex is the same way. Go ahead. So to be clear, God gave us sex as um, a way for a husband and wife to be unified in marriage to be one in marriage, and God created that. He put Amen. it in marriage. And when it is anywhere outside of those boundaries, that was what we would label as sexual perversion. That's right. Amen. Amen. And on page 51 of the book, the writer, the author writes, quote, No one has hunger pangs for the unnatural until they experience a taste of the unnatural. Uh, this is why a person, a man, generally, it's mostly men, but there are some women, that are addicted to pornography, uh, they have basically satisfied a, a desire unnaturally. And, they've, and what happens is they develop an appetite for that thing and, and they can't get enough. You think about the Ted Bundys of the world. That's how they start. They start by looking at things that they should not look at, viewing, and then viewing is not enough. And then that appetite grows and it grows and it grows. And you, if you don't have an intervention, if you don't have someone, something step in, uh, you could possibly go uh, to now. I'm not saying that every, everyone that watches pornography is going to become a yeah, serial ki- killer, right? <laughs> uh, but what I'm saying is it, it, it has the potential uh, of being that damaging and that destructive. And so uh, sexual sin is the satisfying of the natural desire in an unnatural or immoral way. And this is why sexual sins are so rampant in our society today. And as you mentioned, Pastor, any sex outside of the boundaries that God has given us, of course, uh, is unnatural and it is sin. You mind reading those verses for us there, Pastor, in Romans chapter 1? Sure. So the important thing here is the word unnatural. Amen. There is natural, and that is whatever is done between a husband and wife in the confines of marriage. Everything else is unnatural. Romans one twenty four through 27. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with us and, uh, and read along with. I'll begin. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the uh, creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their own lust toward one another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And you, you pointed out right before you read the verses, Pastor, it's natural and it's against nature. So natural is for a man and a woman 
to be physically together under the confines of marriage. That's natural. That's normal. That's expected. Uh, it's against nature for a man to be with a man and a woman to be with a woman. That is sin. That is an abomination in the eyes of God. And I'll add to that, unnatural doesn't begin with homosexuality. Unnatural right. begins with any sexual perversion that is outside of marriage. And then, uh, and then it goes as far as the extreme. I, I guess there are extremes beyond. Sure. Right? Sure. But goes to that, to the level of the, what, what we would coin the or what problem we know that we as, have today, right? Right. The LGBTQ homosexual community. Absolutely. Behavior. Absolutely. Right. So we see that out of the five points, number one, the trap. The trap that, that Satan has set for all of humanity uh, is that sexual lure that Pastor talked about uh, being on the hook. Because he knows that we're susceptible to that. And so that's the trap. So let's look at some things that we have to consider in this topic is the terms. The terms. Right? So when we use the terms homosexual, uh, when we use the terms gay, lesbian, uh, and, and all these other terms that those, those uh, letters stand for, okay, uh, we have to understand uh, that, that those are not terms that God particularly uses in the Word of God. All right, I'm going to quote from uh, page 73 on the book. Uh, the terms heterosexual and homosexual, stay with me now, this is very important. They originated in 1869 when they were coined by a man named Carl Kurt Benny. Uh, this man, a man terribly confused about human sexuality. In fact, his confusion and his depravity was so severe that it effectively impaired his moral judgment and general decency. This man, Carl Kurt Benny, even attempted to normalize bestiality. Now, if you don't know what bestiality is, that's having physical relations with an animal. He wanted to normalize this, this Carl Kurt, uh, Kurt Benny. Uh, and so the same person who invented a label for heterosexuals also invented the terms for other sexual deviations. Uh, this man, the, the book continues uh, to say on page 73, he did so with a desire to le legitimize unnatural sexual behavior. Carl Kurt Benny, later on in his life, changed his name to Maria. And so we see uh, the transgender impact uh, of this type of philosophy, this type of thinking. So the terms heterosexual, the terms homosexual, uh, they came from someone uh, who had a deviant lifestyle. This is dangerous because as Christians, we have fallen in the trap of using these terms, heterosexual and homosexual. Now, not here in the notes, sure. but in the book, um, when it talks about Carl Kurt Benny, it also says he tried to coin another term for bestiality that just didn't stick, yeah. but had a ring similar to yeah. hetero and homosexual. And so we as Christians should not use these terms, Amen. heterosexual and homosexual. Um, I'll put it out there. I am not heterosexual. Amen. I, I have natural relations with the woman God gave me, the wife God gave me. But I am not going to take a term that Carl Kirk Benny, who didn't even, wasn't, wasn't even a believer in the Bible, that he coined in term. This is subtle, but this is a trap we fall into when we let the world pigeonholed everyone into one of two camps. Amen. And this is the beginning of where Satan has hoodwinked yeah, the church. No. This is one of those spots in the book where I thought, wait a second, I've used that term my whole life. 
I know what that term means. I, I relate to that term. I would consider, at that time, I considered myself a heterosexual male, a male uh, who is attracted to females. That's how we would normally refer to. And then I see, well, wait a second. This guy who coined these, these words is a man who was trying to make it to, to normalize uh, having physical relations with animals. I, I guarantee you, if we ask any homosexual... Again, this is where we have, to, we have to train ourselves, right? We have to train ourselves. We ask anyone in the LGBTQ community if they think that it's okay uh, to have physical relations with an animal. I would hope and pray that most of them would say no. Most of them would say no. I, I, would, I would hope and pray that yeah. most of them would think, no, that is wrong. That is wicked. That is uh, by far uh, horrible. You, we shouldn't do that. Well, the same person who thought that it was okay to do that, he's the one that coined the phrase or the terms heterosexual and homosexual. And this is the beginning of where we come down to binary thinking. Yes. Someone has to be one or the other, we don't, but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves Amen. here. And so we as Christians, we must accurately and biblically define the terms that refer to people who think that they are what we used to call homosexual, uh, and people who know that they are not who we used to refer to as heterosexual. And so, uh, biblically speaking, there truly isn't anyone who's homosexual. And, and we'll explain all of this here in just a moment. Okay? So in light of what we're saying and in light of what we're going to share with you tonight, uh, all of us need to be willing to adjust our vernacular. I'll be quite honest with you. When I first read this book, uh, and even still today, even a few years later, I still struggle with using the term homosexual. I still struggle with using the term heterosexual. I don't want to use those terms. Satan likes to, likes to label. This is so important to understand. Satan likes to put labels on people. And if he can label something and that label sticks, uh, he gave a list of examples of, of, of labels that Satan yes. has thrown out yes. there uh, yes. that have tripped up mankind in the past. And this is just another example of where Satan is trying to uh, get us to attach labels to Absolutely. things. Absolutely. And so what we're going to do for the sake of this study and for the sake of uh, tonight and hopefully moving forward uh, is we're going to train our minds, hopefully reteach ourselves how to refer to these people. And you're going to struggle just like I've struggled. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first one is it's not heterosexual. It's opposite gender attracted, okay? So a person who is attracted to the opposite gender is what we normally refer to as heterosexual, okay? A a lady who's attracted to men and a man who's attracted to ladies, that's normally what we refer to as uh, heterosexual. From this point forward, we're going to use opposite gender attracted or or try to, all right? Uh, And then the second one would be uh, same gender attracted. Now, that's what we normally refer to as homosexual or gay or lesbian, however you want to refer to it. Uh, but same gender attraction, uh, that's how we're going to uh, address it moving forward. And so, uh, so we have opposite gender attracted as far as what we think we have in the world. We have same gender attracted as far as what we think we have in the world. And then we have what the Bible actually says, okay? what the Bible actually teaches us. And this is, this is it right here, Pastor. This was where my mind was blown. This was where I read that book and I said, how in the world did I not see this? How in the world has no pastor, preacher, evangelist, missionary, any speaker of the Word of God, how has this not been taught? And this is where it came in. And it basically is you have a biblical eunuch. A biblical eunuch. All right? And so um, 
as Pastor mentioned, Satan wants to pigeonhole us into either same gender attracted or opposite gender attracted. Uh, but the Bible says that you're either opposite gender attracted or you're a biblical eunuch. You're, you're not same gender. It doesn't exist. No one is born uh, with the attraction to the same gender. Let me, let me insert Go ahead, there. Pastor. So no one is born with the same sexual attraction yeah. to the other gender. But uh, we are all born with some attraction to our same gender. Of For course. instance... Uh, when I was a boy, I enjoyed the company of other boys. Absolutely. I was a first grade boy. I wanted to fit in with the other boys. There was an attraction to other boys. It wasn't sexual. That's right. Uh, but there was a relational same gender attraction. Yes. There is um, emotional same gender attraction. If you watch um, uh, the World Series during non-COVID season, Amen. you'll see a team win the World Series. And what happens? Guys are dogpiling on top of each other, they're hugging each other, they're crying all over each other, yes. they're high-fiving each other. There is no sexual sexuality in that, although there are strong bonds there, yes. there is no, there is no uh, sexual That's right. draw there. That's right. Uh, we, uh, and I'm glad you pointed that out. That was a good point. I, uh, uh, I failed to mention that. That's good. Uh, and another thing I want to say, they also like to slap each other's rear ends, too. Anyway. Um, That's true. Laugh. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But, but none of that is sexual. None of that would be considered uh, perverted. Now, you know, okay, slapping someone's rear end, okay, you may not want to do that. But the, the fact of the matter is that boys hang with boys and girls hang with bo- uh, girls. Normally, that's, that's normal. That attraction is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you put... If you go to a, 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 maybe a church service, right, or, or like you said, a, a school setting, the boys are going to naturally gravitate to hang with the boys, and the girls are going to naturally gravitate to hang with the girls. Uh, and that's okay because there's nothing sexual about that. Uh, and so that's a great distinction that I'm glad you mentioned that, Pastor. Um, so, but, but what Satan has done, he has perverted uh, the, the attraction. He has perverted uh, the labels, the terms. And so we must understand this concept of a biblical eunuch. So, a biblical eunuch does not belong to either opposite gender attracted crowd or perverted same gender attracted crowd. The biblical eunuch does not belong in either one of those categories. The biblical eunuch uh, is a person who's not sexually attracted to either gender. Uh, They're not attracted to guys and they're not attracted to girls. And so... We have such confusion in our world today. I remember the first time I heard a young person say to me, and this was years ago, probably, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, that I heard them say that I'm bisexual. And I thought, wait, what? Well, hold on. I've heard, you know, uh, where, where guys are attracted to guys and girls are, but I've never, this is a, a relatively new. Now, it may have been out there, but I didn't hear it, where someone says, well, you know, uh, as they say, I go both ways. I say, what? This, and the perversion is just increasing and getting worse now to the point where people say, well, I identify as a female, even though I am a male. Or I identify uh, as a male, even though I'm a female. Or uh, I identify, and, and, and then we have, like you mentioned earlier, we have, uh, there's, you know, a gazillion amounts of genders. No, there isn't. There's still only two genders. Everybody with me tonight? Biologically. <laughs> Biologically, there's still only two, only two genders. Only two genders. Amen. Amen. And so uh, the Old Testament Hebrew word translated eunuch. 
and this is where we're going to talk about this, this biblical term of eunuch, and, and this will help us understand, uh, is the word saris, uh, S-A-R-I-S. It is translated several different ways in Scripture. It is translated as officer. Uh, it is translated as chamberlain. Uh, it is also translated as eunuch. And so uh, it's also found untranslated, in other words, left as is, untranslated with an additional word added as rabsaris, uh, which means chief eunuch. Uh, we find this in Jeremiah chapter 39, verses 3 and 13, as well as Second Kings chapter 18 and verse 17. And I thought Rabsaris, I would always see that when I would read the Bible. I, I just thought that was someone's name. But I realize now that's an actual title, mm-hmm. that he's the chief eunuch uh, in that particular kingdom. And so the context of the passage will determine which definition fits the word best in each passage. Okay, so regardless of the context... The word eunuch refers to someone who is chosen for or chosen to be a dedicated servant to a cause or a person, an officer, a chamberlain, a a eunuch. They're they're a specific, they're dedicated to a cause or a person. So, Pastor, what does the the, the word eunuch not mean? Well, (laughs) many times when we hear the word eunuch, the first thing that comes to mind is someone who's been castrated. Yes. And that is a type. Sure. Someone can be made a eunuch that way, but biblically, mm-hmm. that, is, that is not the primary meaning of Amen. the word eunuch. That's what I thought it was. For many years, I thought, well, a eunuch is someone who has you know, had their privates removed or incapacitated in that particular yep. area. And I'm sure most of us probably thought the same thing. That's what a eunuch is. And that's part of it, but that, as you mentioned, that's not the primary well, definition. Satan has worked hard to make the word eunuch a funny, weird, strange word. When God, we'll see here uh, as, we, as we go through uh, the Scripture verses here in a minute, God elevates the position of eunuch yes. and talks about it in a positive light yes. all throughout the Bible. Yes, so when, when uh, our daughter Jocelyn, who lives with us here, uh, her and I have gone through this this whole study, and so when I see someone who I think fits the description of a biblical eunuch, you know, at first I would say, now Jocelyn, I think that person's a eunuch. So at first it was kind of goofy, you know. At first it was weird and funny, and and like you said, it's an odd word. Uh, but now we've done it for so long that it's just, yeah, that person's a biblical eunuch. That's how we view them because that's the the scriptural perspective, not that they're same gender attracted or. They're homosexual. No, they're a a biblical eunuch. They just don't know it yet. They've not been taught. And so the first time we see this word saris, uh, the word that's translated eunuch, in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. And it's in reference to uh, 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 Potiphar. We all know who Potiphar is. Potiphar, who eventually was the, the, in command in, in the Egyptian kingdom, uh, he was uh, obviously an officer of Pharaoh, the Bible says. Uh, Joseph eventually was put under his care, and we know that whole story. Uh, but in Genesis 39, verse 1, we see, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer, an officer of Pharaoh. Or a eunuch of Pharaoh. A eunuch of Pharaoh. That's the word that's translated. That's the word saris that's translated uh, officer in this verse in, in our English King James Bible. Uh, it says an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him or bought him rather of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Go ahead, Pastor. So real quick here, Potiphar. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, he was a married man, mm-hmm. right? 
Correct. But he was a eunuch. That's right. So I thought about this. Yes. I've given this a lot of thought. Um, who was Potiphar's wife after? Joseph. And in what way was she after Joseph? Sexually. Probably because Potiphar had no sexual interest in his wife. And Potiphar very well could have married for the sake of holding his position within the kingdom. Now, that's speculation on my part. Sure, sure, sure. But we do know from the study of the rest of Scripture that a eunuch is someone God made with no sexual desire Correct. Toward the opposite gender. Correct. But, but on the same token, too, the flip side of that, Pastor, is the, the word itself, meaning officer or chamberlain, in that context, it just means that, hey, they have a position of authority. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it has nothing to do with their sexual drive or lack thereof. Uh, and so we have to understand that this word, we have to consider the context. The context is what helps us to understand whether it's referencing sexual drive or the lack thereof. Uh, and so now, okay, those of you that are here and those of you that are watching uh, from home or wherever you might be, uh, we're going to ask you, if you have a Bible, to turn to this passage, okay? Matthew chapter 19. If you have a Bible, Very important. Please, this, is, please this, turn is, there. this is right here. This is the crux, the gist of this entire teaching is found in Matthew chapter 19. And, and we're going to go ahead. It comes Pastor. from our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. The very the words. Taught it. The very words of the Lord himself. I mean, they're all his words, obviously, but uh, his physical presence here on earth. These words came out of his physical mouth. These words are in red and in red letter exactly. Bibles. Amen. That's right. All right. So if you're there, uh, we're going to read beginning in verse number one, and we're going to read down to verse number twelve. So it's a lengthy passage. We're going to try to explain uh, what is being said here, and hopefully this will help you understand this biblical eunuch concept. All right. Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse number one. And the Bible says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee. And came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees, take note of that, who's coming, right? The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him. Now, we know the Pharisees are always trying to trip the Lord Jesus Christ up in his words, trying to catch him to prove him wrong. This is the same thing happening here. Uh, they uh, They said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Is it lawful for a man to put away... Pastor, what's that mean? What's that question mean for the folks that may not understand? Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to get Jesus tripped up here on a topic that's tripped up many preachers. Yes. They, yes. I, I feel as though they sat around and tried to come up with the most difficult questions they could <laughs> to try to entangle our yes. Savior in his words. Uh, but the phrase put away yeah. means... Divorce. Divorce. Yeah. So that's what they're asking. They're, they're asking... Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason, any and every reason? If he just feels like it, hey, I don't want to be with her anymore, I'm tired of her, uh, you know, is it okay for him to divorce her? So we see here he's talking about divorce, marriage and divorce. Let's continue, verse number four. Uh, And he answered and said unto them, now this is the Lord Jesus' response. Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Two genders, male and female. Uh, Verse 5, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, they two, shall be one flesh. Verse 6, so everybody's still with me? We're talking about marriage, right? Marriage and divorce. Okay, verse 6, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The original design for marriage is one man, one woman, one lifetime. 
Everybody with me? Okay, now, again, we understand there's extenuating circumstances, there's exceptions. I get all that, okay? But in the context of the conversation, that's what God, that's the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Everybody with me so far? God's original design left no room for, exactly. for divorce. All right, uh, verse number 7. They say unto him, the Pharisees, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? So why did Moses come up with this concept of divorce? Verse 8, the Lord Jesus, he saith unto them, Moses, look at the reason, because of the hardness of your hearts. You know what that means, Christian? The Lord Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, you're going to do whatever you want anyway. Your heart is so hard, you don't want to listen to God anyway. You're going to divorce your wives no matter what God says. And so because of that, look at it, verse number, verse number 8. Uh, he saith unto Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. He says, you're going to do it anyway. I'm at least going to give you some parameters. I would liken this to polygamy. God is not for polygamy. Uh, God is not for uh, men having more than one wife. But men did it anyway. And so there are some verses in Scripture to help uh, put some boundaries in how they would do that. That's not an endorsement of polygamy. That's saying, okay, you're going to do this anyway. So let's at least do it in a way uh, that's a little bit moral, a little bit uh, honoring to the Lord. Even though I'm not for polygamy, he's not for uh, divorce. Let's look at verse number 9. <clears throat> and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, there's an exception. Okay? So if a pastor says, there's no exceptions. Well, I think the Lord Jesus Christ says there's at least one exception here in Scripture. Uh, there's others in 1 Corinthians 7, but that's at least one exception. Uh, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So the Lord Jesus is saying here, the marriage relationship is sacred. It's holy. It's designed by God himself. And it's designed to be one man, one woman, one lifetime. It's not to be handled lightly. It's not to be handled frivolously. Everybody with me so far? Okay, uh, let's look at verse number 10. His disciples, okay, so his disciples, Pastor, they're, they're hearing this, right? This conversation between the Lord and the, and the Pharisees, and they're like, whoa, <laughs> wait a second. Look at it, verse 10. His disciples say unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. <laughs> what are the disciples saying? They're saying, man, is it even worth it? Should I even bother getting married? Like, we're going, to have, we're going to be at odds at some point. We're going to struggle. Uh, there's probably going to be some disagreements. And they're thinking, maybe I shouldn't even get married at all. Everybody following the flow of the conversation here? This is the Pharisees, the Lord Jesus, and the disciples hearing what he said with regards to marriage and divorce. And then they're saying, maybe I should just remain unmarried. Maybe I should just not get married at all. All right, let's continue. Uh, verse number 11. But he, the Lord Jesus, said unto them, the disciples... All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. Pastor, what's that mean? That, tell, tell us what that means in, in your mind. What do you think, your opinion? There? there is a very specific group of people that will be able to deeply understand this, and everyone else will not be able to deeply yes. understand this. And there this. will be some people who will be able to be unmarried, and it's okay with them. Yeah. And it won't be a problem. But not everyone can do that. He's saying... There are some people who can receive this statement that you just made, disciples, of never getting married. Some people can do that. Most can't. All right, let's continue reading. Verse number 12. For there are some, here's the word, eunuchs. There are some eunuchs, now look at this phrase, 
which were so born from their mother's womb. Let that sink in, folks. There are some eunuchs, some people who are okay to never marry, and they're born that way from their mother's womb. They are a God-made eunuch. And I'll be quite honest with you, when I first saw this, I thought, whoa, wait a second. You mean to tell me that when someone in the LGBTQ community says, well, I'm born this way, this is my proclivity, and this... And I would say, no, 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 you're not born this way. You, you, you make a choice, and it's a decision, and you, maybe you were molested, or maybe you were perverted somehow, some way. And, and, and it, but they are born without the attraction to the opposite gender. They are not born with the attraction to the same gender. Everybody tracking with what the Bible is saying here? Everybody okay? They are born with no sexual attraction No sexual whatsoever. attraction, None. Uh, and so when we hear stories, and I, I don't want to say a name, but I, my family member, uh, uh, this particular individual, I've never, ever once seen him with a girl, interested in a girl, having any desires for a girl. Uh, and I would think to myself, and I'm just being transparent, I would think, this guy's weird. Like, what's wrong with him? Like, I mean, come on. Because I'm a, I'm a... Opposite gender attracted individual. I'm a, what we used to call heterosexual. And I look at him and I say, what is wrong with you? Like, are you insane? And now when I read this, I say, I get it. I understand now why he's not attracted to girls. Because a person like me who is attracted, and honey, I'm attracted to one girl. Amen. One lady. Amen. She's got her fist. <laughs> I can get myself in trouble here, Pastor. I've got to be careful. Be careful. <laughs> But those of us who are born with the opposite gender attraction, we can't understand people who are not. And it makes absolutely no sense to us. But when you read this scripture, let's continue reading, all right? Uh, it says there in verse 12, For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. These are God-made eunuchs. They were born never to marry, never to have sex. They have no sexual attraction whatsoever. The verse continues saying, And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. All right? So you have God-made eunuchs. You have man-made eunuchs. And so these man-made eunuchs would be, uh, uh, physically, they're made incapable of, of sexual acts due to castration or mutilation of the reproductive organs or whatever the case might be. Uh, and so they're made eunuchs uh, by other people. Uh, and so they, they, didn't, they weren't born as a eunuch, but they were made a eunuch uh, because of something someone else did to them. Let's continue reading. Uh, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Notice the three eunuchs that the Lord Jesus Christ himself outlines here. God-made eunuchs, man-made eunuchs, and self-made eunuchs. So you think, what, what's a self-made eunuch? A self-made eunuch is someone who suppresses their sexual desires in order to serve God That's right. with their life. Amen. And that person has made a conscious decision themselves. They say, I am not going to be married. I am not going to be sexually active. I am going to take and devote all of my life and every ounce of energy and every minute that I possibly can to the kingdom of God. Yeah, they have sexual desires. Yes. But they suppress them. Yes. Whereas a God-made eunuch is someone who has no sexual desire. Exactly. So we think of people like a monk, right? We think, well, that, that's, that's a self-made eunuch. Uh, they may not have their doctrine right, but they have decided that, hey... I'm going to devote my life wholeheartedly, completely to God and God alone. That's a self-made eunuch. 
Now, we talked about this in your office, Pastor. We think that uh, maybe this is probably where the Catholic Church got the idea of the priesthood and the nuns and and them not marrying and not being sexually active. And, of course, uh, we know that some of those people are not biblical eunuchs and hence... And not not capable of being a self-made eunuch. And hence we have the perversion that is happening within the Catholic Church of of abuse and, and all sorts of molestation and, and all kinds of problems because they're not biblical eunuchs and they're trying to force on themselves something that's not, that's not uh, right for them. Uh, everybody with me? Everybody okay? All right. Um, now he says at the, the tail end there of verse number 12, he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. He's saying that person who is able to remain a eunuch his whole life, unmarried, uh, uh, no sex, celibate, uh, dedicated to the service of God. Hey, let him be willing to, to take that, that mantle, uh, that elevated position of service, and, and run with it, and, and be a, a, a great man or woman of God for his kingdom. And so the problem we have is that they're not taught this. They don't know this. And so what does the world say? Well, what do you mean you don't like girls? What do you mean you don't like boys? Well, if you don't like boys, then you must like girls. They'll say that to a girl. Or if you don't like girls, then you must like boys. They'll say that to a boy. Why? Because the world tells us you must be with someone. Yeah, it's, a, it's an either-or binary proposition. If you are not, as they term it, heterosexual, then yeah. by default you are homosexual. Exactly. And God says no. That's right. If, if you are not, if you have no sexual desire toward the opposite gender, I made you... I made you for me. I made you to serve me with your life. Yes. They are to be married, but they're to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ yeah. and him alone. Spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, exactly. Right. And so uh, when, when the world, and we're guilty of this, okay? We as Baptists, as Christians, we're guilty of elevating marriage to the point of this is the epitome of all relationships on planet Earth. I'm guilty. I've preached, you know, as if uh, marriage is the be-all, end-all. As if marriage, if, 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 you know, uh, we, we raise our kids and we raise our boys and girls, man, find a good wife and find a good husband. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And, and, and we preach it and we preach it. And we look at people who aren't married, who don't have children, and we say, what's wrong with them? Yeah. Are y'all Single, with me? Singles classes in the Baptist church have become the, well, you're leftover. You didn't yeah, find yeah. a spouse. You They're go the weirdos, right? We, we, yeah. And I'm just being transparent. I'm not. I, and I don't, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. We, we treat them as if they're, they're oddballs. You know, well, they can't find a wife. Or, you know, if he wouldn't be so odd, you know, maybe he could find a spouse. Or if she would be a little more submissive. Well, listen, maybe God has created them to be a biblical eunuch and to remain unmarried and celibate for their entire life and serve God in a greater capacity than those of us that are married. I'll be quite honest with you. People that are single, they have more time. They have less distractions. Uh, they, 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 all of their finances can be given you know, to, to the work of the Lord for the most part. And obviously, they've got to pay bills. But you know, we, we have to consider our wife. We have to consider those of you that are women. You have to consider your, your husband. We have to consider our children. There's so many distractions that come along with the married life. Marriage is not bad, but for a biblical eunuch... Marriage is not the will of God. So if, if God has created you with a desire um, uh, toward the opposite gender sexually, then it very well may be God may lead you to a person in your life, if he hasn't yet, for you to marry. Uh, but if God has not given you a sexual desire toward the opposite gender, then God is calling you to chastity, 
and he's calling you to celibacy to serve him with your life. Amen. What an honorable calling. Here we see that there are a number of people in the Bible. And yes. Pastor Morales, here's where I began to feel really guilty yes. as I began to read this and study this because we, we elevate these people in the Bible as being great heroes of the faith Amen. and we forget that they were never married. They were never married. How many of us can, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I'm in the same boat. I would read this and I thought, wow. Well, the Lord Jesus himself was a, you know, a he, eunuch. He, he was a eunuch. He was not married. He never married. Uh, y'all with me? And, and we would say he's the epitome of the example we are to follow, correct? Uh, but he never married. Now, of course, we know he's the, the, the bridegroom and we are the bride. We understand that concept, but that's spiritually speaking. Physically, he never married. Uh, we have the Apostle Paul. There's no, no evidence in Scripture that, that the Apostle Paul was ever married. Um, uh, Jeremiah. As a matter of fact... God specifically uh, ordered Jeremiah to not get married. I thought, wow, this is intense. I didn't know this. Jeremiah 16, verse 1 and 2. Read that for us, Pastor. The word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. He says, Thou shalt not take a wife. You will not be married, Jeremiah. You will not have children, Jeremiah. You are, that's not what I created you for. I created you to be a prophet. I created you for this specific time and this specific purpose. But you are to do it without a wife and without children. Some of those who've made the greatest impact on this world for Christ and, and for the cause of the Bible are people who never married. Never married. Amen. And by the way, uh, in case you're wondering, not only the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle John, Jeremiah, there's others. There's others. We didn't write all the examples. There's others. Uh, but eventually... All of us will be eunuchs as well. Even those of us who are not, who are, are, are opposite gender attracted people. Uh, in heaven, uh, we will, uh, no one will be physically married and we will be completely dedicated to God. I, I love this point because it, it kind of brings everything full circle. Yeah, when we get to heaven, we'll all be eunuchs. That's right. And Luke so, chapter 20. Go ahead, Pastor. Yeah. I'm sorry. So the, the idea here is that we are looking forward to that day where we're made whole and made perfect and freed from sin and free from struggle, and we, we live in eternal bliss forever with God, when we get there, God will make us all eunuchs. Yeah. And so why do we belittle and put down people who God made that way here on earth? Amen. They're a step ahead of us, if you will. That's right. Luke chapter 20, verse 34 and 35 says, And Jesus answering said unto them, This is the Sadducees he's speaking to, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world... And the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Yeah, and, you know, we say this, I think, in word, but I think in action we don't practice it. We say marriage is a picture of our relationship to the Lord, and marriage is temporary, and marriage is for this world, and, and marriage is, you know, to help us grow in our walk with God. We say it, but yet we elevate marriage to a point that if you're not married, there's something wrong with you, and we have to change our thinking. I'll be quite honest with you. Church, when I was in New York and I read this book, I told Pastor this in his office. I said, I was ready to, had we stayed there, I was ready to start a Sunday school class, a life group, specifically for biblical eunuchs. Because I thought, how else can I reach them? I'm not reaching them currently. I'm not witnessing to them. I'm not sharing these truths with them. How can I get them in? And if you say that to your average, you know, independent fundamental Baptist church pastor, he's going to oh, wait a second. You're going to have a class for homosexuals, but again, if we understand the true meaning of these terms, uh, we'll see that 
they are not same gender attracted people. Those don't even exist. Uh, what, ha- what has happened is society has pushed them in that direction because if you're not with someone, you're weird. And since you're not attracted to boys if you're uh, a girl, then you must be attracted to girls. And if you're not attracted to girls if you're a boy, then you must be attracted. You must be with someone. So I, I want to make sure we get this out here. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is where many folks, not everyone, but this is where many folks enter the homosexual lifestyle. They grow up being pushed and told their whole life, you have to like the opposite gender, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And they get to an age where they feel like, well, I have to like somebody. Yep. And they don't understand that there is a third option. They don't have to fall into the trap of doing that which is unnatural just in order to conform or fit. In fact, there are people who God makes to be biblical eunuchs who get married to someone of the opposite gender. And because they have no sexual attraction to their spouse, that ends up leading to divorce. And then at the divorce, they declare themselves publicly to be gay. And the thought process is, well, I'm not attracted to my wife or a woman to her husband, so that must mean by default I'm attracted to someone of the opposite sex. We see the, the struggle here. We see the entry point. Now, not everyone who enters the homosexual world enters because they're biblical eunuchs. Sometimes people enter that because they've tasted of something that's unnatural and they've developed a, a, a liking for it uh, in a way that is perverse and wrong, and, and that's a path uh, that they end up going down. Yeah. I want to say one last thing here on this point. We'll move on to the next one, Pastor. I, I, it enlightened me to the point that I, I said to myself, I said, wait a second. We have been part of the problem. Why do we have young people who are raised in good, decent, doctrinally straight, I mean, fantastic, booming Baptist churches, and they end up going in that direction? How, how does this happen? You know how it happens? We belittle those people, we 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 uh, beat, berate those people. We uh, we condemn those people, and we say that's wrong and that's sinful and that's an abomination, and that's true. But we're not teaching them why they feel the way they feel. They feel rejected. They feel they don't fit in. They feel like they're odd, uh, the odd man out. And so, where do they fit in? Where do they feel accepted? With the LGBTQ community. And even though they're not same gender attracted, these people embrace them. These people accept them. These people love them just as they are. And then all of a sudden, they fall into the sin. They, they get involved in unnatural, uh, perverted things. And then they, desire, they, they create a desire for it. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so we have been part of the problem. Yeah, and, and to elaborate further on that, and, and this may shorten up some of what we're sure. going to do uh, down the road uh, here in a moment. Part of the problem here is that God creates, and I'm going to talk about boys for a minute here, and I I think this would apply to female eunuchs as well, but God creates boys that are eunuchs, and and in that creation, he creates them to be more nurturing and caring and loving. He he creates them to be what we Baptists, and and I would even say the right-wing conservative crowd, would label as effeminate. And that is wrong. Um, I believe in my studies and readings that the Apostle John was a eunuch. You notice that John laid his head on the breast of Jesus. John was very emotional and temperamental. You remember when the the Gentiles were casting out demons and 
James and John, the brothers, came to Jesus and said, Can we call down fire upon them? You see how temperamental John was being there. And so these, these boys, we label them as these boy eunuchs. We label them as effeminate and soft. Those are the wrong terms. And what's it doing? It's pushing them away. It's telling them, you don't fit our definition of manhood. You, your definition of manhood, you have to stand up and flex and be a warrior. And you have to be willing to you know, punch a, uh, punch a cow between the eyes or shoot a deer or put a football, uh, uh, throw a football or uh, put a basketball through a hoop. And you know what? God does not make every man to be that. Now, he makes some men that way, sure. but he doesn't make all men that way. Amen. And we have to stop labeling boys who have a softer side of them as being weirdos and effeminate and strange. No, God made them to be more nurturing and loving and caring because he has a specific purpose for them as eunuchs. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. And you mentioned the Apostle John. He talks about it in the book. The Apostle John is called the Apostle of love, of love. Uh, first John chapter, uh, first John, the book of first John and second John and third John, the book of Revelation. He, he speaks on love more than anyone else. And you brought up a great point that he laid his head on the chest of the, I'll be honest with you. I'm not laying my head on no one's chest. Are, are y'all with me? Because that's not to me. That's odd. That's weird because I'm not a biblical eunuch. And so uh, I may uh, I'm not laying my head on another man's chest. Albeit, when I read that, I feel convicted to I should have that kind of a love for the Lord, obviously. Uh, and I would hope and pray that if the Lord Jesus was before me physically, that I'd be willing to do that. But no one else. I'm like, I'm not. None I'm not of the other that. disciples in the room wanted That's to right. do that. That's right. And, and furthermore, the only two disciples that history tells us that did not marry a woman was James and John. James died at a young age at, at the hands of Pharaoh, or rather Herod. His head was chopped off. John lived a long, long life. And, and John was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Amen. there was a special place in the heart for, uh, for John. By the way, John was the only disciple that did not die by way of martyrdom. He got to die of old age because God had this, Jesus had a special relationship with John. So here's the question I want to ask all of us this evening. If Jesus is okay with John being soft, then can't you be okay with a boy having features that are maybe more soft. This is I have, have to, to tell you, yeah. if someone would have asked me that question six months ago, uh, I w- it would have made me upset. Yeah, you would have said, no way. Because not, 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 we're used to hearing, Jesus was a man's man. And Jesus, you know, he, he, he threw the money changers out of the temple. Ah! And that's, Jesus was a man's man. And I say, okay, all right, I see that, but then there's this other side as well that we don't ever mention, that we don't preach about, that we don't talk about, uh, and we have to be balanced in this approach. Uh, and so that's, those are great points that you brought out there, Pastor. I appreciate you bringing those in. Uh, we see the trap. We see the terms. We must change the terms. Uh, point number three, we'll, we'll hit real quickly. We see the tribute. And Pastor's talked about this a little bit already, the fact that the life of a eunuch, uh, the position of eunuch is an exalted position. Um, it is a path of one who has more time and energy to devote to the Lord. They are not bogged down with the cares of marriage and child rearing. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes very, very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let, let's have everybody turn over there if we yeah, could. 1 Corinthians 7 in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn there with us, if you will. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at verse number 28, if you will. 
verse number 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. <clears throat> the Bible says here, but, it, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, look at what this says here. Nevertheless, such, such shall have trouble in the flesh. Shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. And all the married people said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> all, the bold. Me, all the ones that have been married a long time. Y'all say, Amen. We get it. You're going to have trouble. It's tough, right? It's hard being married. It's not easy. It's very difficult. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, when you get married, there's a lot that comes along with it. That package is, is very heavy and weighty. Now look at verse number 32 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse number 32. It says, but I would, I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 33. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Verse 34, there is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord. Again, the unmarried person, uh, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend... Look at it, that ye may attend upon the Lord without, what's the next word, church? Distraction. And, I, and I, I'm telling you, I have these verses in a totally different light, totally different perspective. Once I found this truth, I said, oh, my goodness, I get it now. I get it, I so get it, I get it. Imagine if our churches had been teaching these doctrines about what a biblical eunuch is the calling of someone with no sexual desires, God's calling on them to serve the Lord full-time, wholeheartedly in our churches. Instead of pushing these kids away from us into the homosexual community yeah. in many cases yes. or into a miserable marriage, yeah. how much further along would our churches be in advancing the kingdom of God? How many, people, how many more people would we reach if we honored the biblical eunuch and said, hey, uh, we have some biblical eunuchs in our church, in our church family. Uh, let's use them. Let's uh, give them responsibility. Let's give them authority. Let's, let's let them help us build the church. But instead, we do the opposite. Hey, you're odd. You're weird. You don't fit. Uh, you know, we're going to kind of relegate you to the sidelines instead of involving you in the game plan. And that's what we have done. Uh, and in God's economy, eunuchs have a special calling on their lives. Uh, I, I do want them to read this passage with us, Pastor, if that's Amen. okay with you. Absolutely. Isaiah 56. Hold, hold your place in 1 Corinthians Yeah, hold 7. your place we'll in 1 Corinthians. Here. But turn to Isaiah chapter 56, and uh, you'll see that God says, hey, this, this biblical eunuch thing, this is greater than we even understand. Isaiah 56, we're going to read uh, beginning of verse 3. We'll, we'll read verse 3, 4, and 5. Isaiah 56. Pastor, would you read those for us? Yes, sir. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuch that keeps my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place, and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name 
that shall not be cut off. When I saw this, I said, wow, better than sons and daughters? Like, I'm a son of God. I can consider that a privilege. I consider that, consider that an honor. He says, these eunuchs, they'll have a name and a place better than a son and a daughter. I guarantee you, if you were to hear, if God would have said in verse 4, For thus saith the Lord unto the pastors that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me, to take hold of my covenant, uh, unto them will I give, you know, in mine house a, a, a better place and a better... Can you imagine how much we'd hear this passage preached? Oh, we'd hear preaching on this all the time. <laughs> if it said pastors, if it said, you know, evangelists, if it said anything other than eunuch, we would hear this preached and quoted all the time. But we don't hear it preached and quoted. Why? Because it's talking about eunuchs. And we, didn't, we either didn't understand the whole concept of a eunuch or we don't agree or uh, we're just ignorant and we just avoid it altogether. And so we have to be careful. God says it's an elevated position. It's not someone we are to relegate to the sidelines, someone we to throw in some Sunday school class and say, oh, y'all go over there, y'all weirdos, you know, we don't understand you. No, no, no. We are to say, man, wow, you're a biblical eunuch. God's going to use you in a great, great way. How can I help in that? Yeah. Amen? Amen. So, so we see the trap. We see the terms. We see the tribute. Uh, number four, we see the trouble. The trouble is that we lack knowledge. Uh, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we've said this. The, the problem is it hasn't been taught. Uh, it hasn't been preached. It hasn't been practiced. Uh, this whole uh, same gender attraction, uh, they, we just assume, that, well, that's okay. That's, that's what they are. Even though it's wrong, uh, we're going to preach at them, preach at them, preach at them, preach at them, preach at them. We're going to browbeat them, browbeat them, browbeat them with the Bible. Listen, it's never going to work. It's not going to change them. Uh, they are born without any sexual attraction. We need to help them understand that. Um, uh, I like this quote here, Pastor. You've probably used this quote. What we don't understand, we fear. What we fear, we judge as evil. What we judge as evil, we attempt to control, and what we cannot control, we attack. We attack. Well, it's wrong. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And we take that one verse or this few verses, and it's abomination. It's abomination. It's abomination. And yes, that's true. But the Lord Jesus Christ says we are to speak the truth in love. That's right. And so we are to say, listen, same gender attraction, that's not natural. That's not biblical. That's not godly. Let me show you from the Bible why you think that this is what you are. Let me show you from the Bible what you truly are. And let's find out what God says about a person who can't figure out this sexual attraction or lack thereof within their own heart. Let's see what the Bible says. Uh, and then let's move forward uh, with that knowledge. And um, Yeah, so a lot of times, uh, and I would say this would be more my style, mm -hmm. uh, up before I understood this idea of a eunuch. And I think this is probably many of you, many of you can relate with this. I was not someone who was mean to people mm -hmm. who put mm -hmm. themselves in that camp. Sure. Uh, I was kind to them. Sure. But the system that we have here at our church, where marriage is put up high, we have a family month, and you know we preach on the home, and, and there's nothing wrong with of preaching not. on the home and not. teaching on biblical marriage, but... It's like if you're in that camp, we're not going to be mean to you, but you really don't have a spot here. Yeah. You don't we, we don't have here. a eunuch month. And so while, <laughs> right, while we're not being mean to them, sure. we're not including them. Yeah, and we're not elevating them to the point where God elevates them. Yeah. God says, in mine house, they're going to have a better place and a better name than sons. And I think, wow, Lord, we have suppressed these people. We have 
uh, judge these people. And you're absolutely right, Pastor. We are definitely part of the problem. And I say we, all of us. Uh, I, you know, Pastor's mentioned he's never heard this preached. I've never heard it preached. Uh, I can probably ask for a show of hands and say, how many of you have heard this preached ever? And, and probably you say, no, none of us. None of us have. So, uh, so lack of knowledge. Yes. John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what, church? Make you free. Make Amen. you free. But you know what? If you know the truth here, but you're not practicing it here, it doesn't make you free. Amen. I can know the speed limit is 60, but unless I drive the speed limit, the truth has not set me free from the ticket that I'm going to get. Amen. Right? So now you know, right? You know the truth about this. We have to put it into practice. Amen. I'm glad that out of us two, you speed more than I do. Anyway. Amen. <laughs> I think so. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Um, I'm going to get myself in trouble again. All right. So we see we, we have a lack of knowledge. Uh, and then next, we already mentioned this, we lift marriage too high. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, and look at what the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you're holding your place there, you went to Isaiah. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 once again. In verse number 1. The Bible says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. He's talking about marriage, right? He's talking about uh, desiring to be with the opposite gender. Uh, so, hey, if, if, you can't, if you want to touch, then you, you need to get married, okay? Verse 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or inconsistency. Verse 6. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. Verse 7. For I would that all men were even as I myself. I would that all, I, I wish that all men were single. That's what Paul is saying. I wish that everybody was single and celibate and serving. He goes on to say, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Verse 8, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. It is good if a person remains single, celibate, serving. Because in heaven there will be no sex. There will be no sexual attraction. So he's saying here, uh, we, like Pastor mentioned earlier, God's preparing us for that. And it's best if we start practicing here. Now, verse 9, but if they cannot contain, all right, if you have to have sex, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Uh, marriage is not the be-all, end-all. Uh, we, we, we should not lift and elevate marriage so high that those who are biblical eunuchs feel left out. Feel left out. Uh, it's not the be-all, end-all of human existence. It is to be a picture of our personal relationship uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ephesians chapter 5. Pastor, go ahead. Yeah, Ephesians 5. Um, I think we're done in 1 Corinthians 7. Turn over yes. there. And um, we had uh, planned to read 22 down through 32. Yes. And uh, we'll, we'll skip some of this here mm -hmm. for sake of time. This passage here, uh, Paul, and isn't it funny how God took a eunuch and had him write about marriage? Amen. God Amen. was using a eunuch to tell us married people how to, how to um, be happily married. Amen. It's a great passage. We've, we, uh, if you've been here long, uh, you've heard it read and preached and taught. Look down at verse 32. He says about marriage, or rather back up to 31. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what is marriage supposed to parallel or symbolize? What is the act of marriage supposed to parallel or symbolize? The closeness between Christ and the church. God has selected certain people, men and women, to not be married, but to skip the parallel and just live out what marriage is to represent. God has called some men and some women to just be at one with Him. Because they don't need to, to, to deal with or worry with sexual lust or sexual passion or sexual desires. They can forego all that and have a walk with God that is far closer than a married man or married woman could ever begin to understand. And we see here why it's important that we not shun someone who's a eunuch, but we, we uh, i got to tell you, after this, I'm, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I'm thankful I'm married. Sure. Right? I love my wife sure. and my kids. Absolutely. But that intimacy with Christ. They can have it in a way that we can and uh, we have to wait till we get to heaven before Absolutely. we can enjoy it. Their level of closeness to the Lord can by far exceed ours. Yeah. Because we're distracted, because we have so many other things pulling at us. Uh, I, I think we've made a, a pretty biblical argument here for us changing our philosophy, changing our perspective, our paradigm, so to speak, how we look at the world and those who would consider themselves to be part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and so we've looked at the trap, we've looked at the terms, we've looked at the tribute. Uh, it's an elevated position. We looked at the trouble, we, we lack knowledge, and we elevate marriage too high. Uh, and then most of this stuff we've already mentioned, Pastor. Let's go ahead and go to number five for the sake of time, uh, the treatment. The treatment. What's the solution? What's the answer? Okay, we have to change how we think. Now, again, I'm not saying we accept um, same-gender attraction practices as okay it's obviously not okay it's it's sin it's an abomination it's wrong but we have to change how we communicate with them to them treat them and try to uh, uh, bring them to christ Uh, our our approach has to be different we've got to do all that we can to reach them that are steeped in this unnatural lifestyle uh, and we have to uh, lead them with the love of christ and with this information this truth from God's word so they can be free. Many people look at someone who's declared themselves to be homosexual and listen, I've, I've heard the gay bashing go on in churches most of my life. I've not personally done it as a, a preacher, but I've heard plenty of preachers do it and they'll say things like, if you're homosexual, you're automatically going to hell. Mm. And it's just not true. No. You can't make a biblical case for that. No. God loves them just as much as he loves uh, an alcoholic or someone else who's struggling with any other uh, uh, sin or, or perversion, uh, which is a behavior that is outside of the bounds of, of how God wants us to behave. And what, what this crowd needs is not us to, uh, to throw stones at them, not us to judge them, Let's let God be the judge, and let's be agents of love Amen. that reach out to uh, this crowd and lead them to truth so that the truth can make them free. And so Amen. we have a lot of adjusting to do yes. at, corporately as a church. I know I do as a pastor. 
that way we're, we're tr- treating both children and youth in our church who God have made to be eunuchs and those who have been pushed into the homosexual lifestyle who were born eunuchs. We have some work to do to work on reaching them and help, helping them feel uh, the love that God wants them to have or, or feel and, and know uh, through his word. Amen. So we, we've got to change our, our paradigm, our perspective, and our approach. How we approach these people with the truth of the word of God. Homosexuality or the same gender, it's still wrong, it's still sin. But how are we teaching them? How are we instructing them? How are we uh, uh, bringing the knowledge to them instead of just condemnation, condemnation, condemnation? Uh, we've, got to cha- we've got to change it. And it Amen. starts with us. Amen. It starts with me. When I read the book, I was so convicted. I said, and I was like you. I was nice. I was kind. I was cordial. But I didn't know this truth. Yeah. And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand. Why are they like this? Now I know. Now I know. And now you know. And so now we're all accountable for the information that we have from the Word of God. So let's, let's make the necessary adjustments. Amen. Pastor. Amen. So the title of the book, Born That Way After All, you can buy it on Kindle for just, I don't know, seven, eight, nine dollars uh, You can order the, the, a hard copy of the book also online. I would encourage you to get it and read it. And um, uh, it, it dives, we gave you the Cliff Notes version. It yes. dives much, much deeper into uh, these topics. Well, we're going to have a word of prayer to close the roundtable discussion portion of it. And um, those of you watching online, uh, we'll be signing off with that. To those of you here tonight, after I pray, we're going to open the floor for any questions that you have. And so let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, thank you for uh, this material. Thank you for bringing Pastor Morales to our church along with these truths that we could study and have a better understanding of. And Lord, help us to make the adjustments necessary to be able to reach uh, this crowd, these folks, with the love of God. and the power of God's love. May we be a salvation station here at White Oak Baptist Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.